Now, I'd love it if you go with me to Exodus 35 this morning, Exodus chapter 35. Welcome to everybody that's watching us online, and so glad that you could join us this morning. Online will be great next week, but it'll be much better to be here on Father's Day. So whatever you can do, if you can come join us, that would be amazing. Exodus chapter 35, verse 1. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. And Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. We've been doing a two-week series called Kingdom Builders. This is that. Last week, we spoke on Pentecost Sunday about the birth of the church and, uh, and some of the characteristics of that newborn, early, one-day-old sort of, of, of church. And we're continuing that whole thought of being kingdom builders, building God's kingdom here on earth. And we're in part two today. This is that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive. We thank you that it's powerful. We thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to get into our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. We pray, God, that you'd work with us this morning. Lord God, we pray that you'd speak to us individually. Expand our mind. Lord, stretch our thinking. Get us out of our comfort zone. Lord, there is so much more that we can do and so much more people to see saved and so much more impact that can happen. And Lord, we are just doing warm-up laps here at Word of Life at the moment. We haven't really hit the stride of what I believe that you are calling us as a people to do. And so bring us into alignment, bring us into unity, get our heads and hearts heading in the right direction, change us from the inside out. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said, when my daughters were growing up, they went through different fads. One of the fads that they went through was the Beanie Baby fad. Anybody had children go through the Beanie Baby fad? And they love Beanie Babies. Every time I traveled to America, I had to go to Toys R Us and mug the Beanie Baby shelf. Uh, then, then, much to my dismay, uh, McDonald's bought out the Happy Meal with the Beanie Baby. And they're like midget beanie babies. They're like microscopic. And my daughters wanted the midget beanie babies. They wanted the small beanie babies. And so uh, I spent a lot of time eating a lot of Happy Meals on my own. Not so happy after all those meals, but my children were happy. I was pretty much like, just throw me the toy, keep the cheeseburger. And they don't do that. So they had a thing that was there. That was the thing that they they had. And as you go through life, I think that you know uh, you can remember different things that caught on. How many people rem here would remember the yo-yo craze when yo-yos were a big thing? Yo-yos were a big big thing. Hula hoop. Anybody remember the hula hoop? A few people, skilled hula hoopers. That would have been cool today, wouldn't it? If we had a couple of hula hoops on the stage, could have brought these people up to show us their skills. Next week. 
Uh, cabbage patch dolls were a thing. A demon-possessed thing. But they were a thing. And uh, Anna was telling me her mom uh, got her a cabbage patch doll, but didn't get her an actual real cabbage patch doll. She made a doll, gave it to Anna, and told her it was a cabbage patch doll. And so Anna has a lot of resentment, but she's not demon-possessed, so that's good. Uh, Slinkies were a thing. Anybody remember slinkies? All these things happen through life. Not that long. Fidget spinners. The fidget spinners were a... How many fidget spinner people do we have? Any, anybody skilled fidget spinner people in the house? There are many things that we can get ourselves connected to. In fact, Jesus was speaking uh, to Martha. He was at Martha and Mary's house and Lazarus' house hanging out. And, and Martha was busy doing a lot of things. She was a worker. She was making everyone coffee, making everyone lunch, cleaning up the place. And, and, and Mary just took time out to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was aggravated at Mary. Like, I'm doing all this work, washing, ironing, cooking, cleaning. Look at her. And, and, and Jesus said, Mary, you're too involved in too many things. One translation says, you've got your finger in too many pies. Right now, you, you, you focus on a whole heap of things, but what Mary has done is she's been able to focus on the one thing. She's been able to focus on the thing that really matters. Moses said to the congregation of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. I would suggest to you that if you're going to be involved in a thing, if you're going to get yourself invested in a thing, if you're going to spend your life committed to a thing, if you have a, this is the thing, then the thing that you should have yourself committed to, the sort of thing that you should be committed to would be the thing that the Lord has commanded. We're going to get our life lined up with God's thing. There are many things, but lining ourselves up with God's thing. This is the thing. Everyone say, this is the thing. Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. What, 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 so what's he talking about? What is, this, what is this thing? Well, Israel's in transition. They've been in captivity for many years, and God has brought them out of captivity. And now they're no longer slaves. They are free. And then God calls Moses up on to a mountain, and he gives him uh, some commandments. He gives him guidelines to live by. He gives him a blueprint of a house of worship so God can establish his presence right in the midst of the people, the blueprint of the tabernacle. And so God's presence would be in the middle, and the people would camp around the outside of the tabernacle. And so God is giving this strategy to Moses. A lot of scholars and some Hebrew uh, historians would say this is what they would class as being the original Pentecost, 50 days out of, the, uh, out of uh, Egypt and God giving the law. This is like the original Pentecost. And it has a lot of similarities with the Pentecost that we spoke about last week. When you think about the church, you and I getting saved, coming out of Egypt, coming out of the world, getting saved, getting our heart right with God, no longer slaves to sin. 
and that we get brought into this beautiful thing called the family, the body of Christ, and then God gets us to be committed to be able to build His thing, which is the church. That's God's thing that He wants us to build. And so you've got to understand, this is not, this is not Moses' thing. This is not Aaron and Hur's thing. This is not Miriam's thing. This is God's thing. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. And I think that what we need to do is be able to identify what, what is God breathing on? What is God touching? What is God moving through? What is God's thing? Acts chapter 2 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. And he said to them, ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that. Everyone say, this is that. This is that which the prophet Joel has spoken. So Peter is saying and gives a, a message that through Joel's prophecy, and through the Psalms of David and different prophetic words of the Old Testament, this thing that is happening, this birth of the church is not an accident. What they see happening as, as the Holy Spirit comes upon people, they start to speak the oracles of God in foreign languages and, and they're looking at that, trying to wonder out what on earth is happening. The scripture says they're amazed and they were perplexed. They were confused. They'd never seen anything like this before. This is, this is brand new. Others, it was so new, they're like, oh, this can't be real. This can't be authentic. This has got to be hype. This is, this is going to be a fad. This is going to be worldly. They didn't say it like that. They just made it worse. They said, these guys are drunk. This is fake. This is not real. And because they didn't understand what was happening. But, but Peter stood up with the 11 and said, this is that. What you see happening before your very eyes is the birth of the church. This is that that the Lord has commanded. It was not man-engineered. It was preordained. It was God-orchestrated. This is that. What God was birthing was the church. And he was saying, this is a plan. This is Jesus' plan all the time. Jesus told the disciples, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the earth. So what we know about the church that is to be birthed is that it was supposed to be an advancing church. The original commandment Jesus gave to the church is not, hey, I want you guys to gather together, sit in a room together and hang out, sing kumbaya, enjoy each other's company, have a group hug every now and then. No, he said, I want, I want you to change the world. I want you to change the world. I, I, what, what Jesus has done on the cross, the freedom of salvation, what Jesus has done on the cross is so big and so life-changing and so life-altering and so world-altering. What has happened here in the last few weeks, what you've seen here happen on Calvary, the resurrection, the ascension, Jesus commanding the disciples to wait. He says, I want you to take that good news out to the whole wide world because it's life-changing news. It's good news. It's the kingdom of God is good news. He said, but before you go everywhere, I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to sit and wait. 
I want you to wait until you are endured with power from on high, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, God's saying, I want you to do something, but I don't want you to do it on your own. I'm calling you to do something, but I'm not calling you to do it in your own power. I'm not calling you to do it in your own strength. I'm not calling you to do it alone. I'm going to partner with you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit with His fruit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit with His power. I'm sending the Holy Spirit with His anointing. He's going to change you from the inside out. You shall be filled with power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and will birth something brand new, which is the church. It was a church commission. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Even just in that thinking, the church is advancing. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the picture. You, you don't get attacked by gates. You attack gates. Gates try to block you from going somewhere, but you attack the gates. The gates don't take, you haven't ever seen a movie where people are like, oh no, and they're running, and oh, duck, and gates come flying over their head. It just doesn't happen. You attack gates. I will build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. This is not a John Morgan thing. This is not a Pastor Cover thing. This is not a David Baird thing. This is not a Billy Graham thing. This is not a whoever you want to put in there. It's not our thing. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Jesus said, I will build my church. Doesn't sound like a suggestion to me. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's an advancing, world-changing church. And this is that. This is that. What you and I are partnering in is that 2,000 years later. But when you're building the church, you're building the kingdom of God. This is that. And you're going to spend your life invested in some sort of a that. Could be a yo-yo. Could be a fidget spinner. Some of you may go home today and thought, wow, I forgot about that hula hoop in my wardrobe. You're going to rummage through a whole heap of other things that were there, throwing out care bears and cabbage patch towels with their heads spinning and, and find the hula hoop. So we're going to do things, but we need to be more of a Mary than a Martha. We could be doing many things or a, a whole heap of things that demand our time, but if you're going to be committed to a thing, if you're going to be committed to a that, I want to encourage you, get your life committed in that. This is that. And I'd suggest to you that 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 should be the Jesus that. It should be this is that that the Lord has commanded. And the church was a major transition from Old Testament to New, Old Covenant to New. Uh, Israel as a nation, as God's people, to no longer Jew, Gentile, no longer male, female, but one people. I pour my spirit out on all flesh. So this is that. This is the church. This is what God has commanded. I want to I take some principles that I think that we can uh, engage in as kingdom builders, because every one of us here today has been called to build God's kingdom. Every one of us is called to build the kingdom of God. And if you seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness, if you make his kingdom your number one priority, then he said, I'll, I'll look after your kingdom. We end up chasing our kingdom and we put God's kingdom on the back burner. And God said, no, you got it. I didn't say, this is the thing, I'll build your kingdom. He said, no, this is the thing, I'll build his thing. And as we align ourselves, I found that for me. I found that as I've spent the last 30, 40 years of my life, just whatever I can do, however I can serve, whatever, whatever God opens up, how can I be involved in advancing the kingdom of God? I found the more I focus on God's kingdom, the more he looks after mine. This is that that the Lord has commanded. Exodus chapter 35, verse 1. Moses said, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. The, the, the thing about this kingdom thing is that it, it begins in rest. Before we go anywhere else and talk about anything else this morning, I think it's really important that we understand that the kingdom of God advancing begins in rest. Verse 2 and 3, it says, Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest. So before God outlaid anything about building the tabernacle, before he gave any details, he said, I, before we get started, I want you to make sure that you commit yourself to having a day of rest. I worked six days, took a day off, he says. I want you, and it's solemn, it's holy. It's a day dedicated to the Lord, but I, I, I want you to rest. It's important to understand that our salvation begins in a position of rest. We can't do anything to be saved. We can't earn salvation. God loves us. End of story. Before we've ever done anything to move towards Him, the Bible says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. So while you're away from God, not interested in God, while you're away from church, couldn't be bothered about, while you're in that state, Jesus still died for you. God was still reaching out towards you before you did anything. So it wasn't like you got it all together and did a whole heap of stuff and earned your salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. We're saved by grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it begins in a position of rest. The church began in a position of rest. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the earth. That sounds like a lot of work. But before you go everywhere, rest. I want to encourage you, in the kingdom of God, everything starts from rest. So we don't serve so God loves us more. We don't give so God loves us more. We're not doing anything to try to earn the favor of, of, of God. The Bible says about Isaac that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. And, and Esau had developed a works mentality because his dad loved him because when he hunted and the food that he made, his dad's like, I like that. And the Bible says that Esau became a skillful hunter. He became very good at earning his dad's favor. Now, when Isaac was supposed to put the blessing on him, his dad said to him, go and hunt, kill me something, make me a stew, bring it back, and then I'll bless you. Now that blessing was his. His dad could have just given it to him. 
But here's this picture, if you like, of the Old Testament where all these works are engaged or, or the law or, or the whole flesh where it says, like, I've got to do a whole heap of things somehow to appease God. And so he's out hunting to get a blessing that was rightfully his. But the Bible says, Rebecca loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau because of the eight of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob, period. So why did Rebecca love Jacob? It didn't say. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, works, but Rebecca loved Jacob. End of story. That's how God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. End of story. He loves you. Jesus Christ died for you. End of story. If you're here today and you're like, does God love me or hate me? God loves you. End of story. Rebecca loved Jacob, period. End of story. No reason. Didn't do anything. Didn't earn it. Didn't deserve it. Wasn't worthy of it. But his mother's love came through anyway. That's a position of rest. You begin everything from a position of rest. So everything we do should be done out of joy, not out of grudging obligation, not out of pressure. Everything we get to do should come out of that passion of like, wow, God, you love me. End of story. I think if some of you, if you just leave church today with just that, it'll resurrect and, and change your life. Because some of you have been trying to appease God by praying a little bit more, read your Bible a little bit more, fast a couple of extra days, whatever it takes. God says, yeah, all those things are good. Do all that. But none of that's earning my love. I already love you anyway. The thing about this kingdom thing is that it's an everybody in thing. Everybody in. Moses said to all, everyone say all. All the congregation, the people of Israel. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. This is an all in thing. The church is a all in thing. Everybody is invited to participate. We want to invite you to get on a team. We want to invite you to be a part of the church. We want to invite you to get into membership. We want to invite you to become a part of small groups. We want to invite you into our family. If you're sitting on the periphery, looking on the inside, on the outside in, we want to say, step in and join the family of God. This is a wonderful people. They are beautiful people. This is a loving church. This is a caring church. This is a celebrating church. I know they're clapping very silently right now, but normally, normally what's happening, see, what, this is what's happening. This is what you call intercession. The lack of loud clapping is intercession because these people right now are interceding and thinking, wow, Pastor John must have jet lag doing a red eye. He's really tired, so we shall be tired for him. I want to encourage you, don't need to be tired for me. I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> Here's another thing. This thing about the kingdom thing, and this, this is, I, I want to, you're going to have to journey with me a little bit in this. Journey with me. Just put your opinions on the side. Just journey with me a little bit from the scripture. Because I, I, I believe for us to do all that God wants us to do, our, our thinking needs to get expanded. And what we tend to do in church life is we tend to shrink the things of God down, <clears throat> the things that God wants us to do. We can't do anything. God's going to do everything. Just that one thought, we can't do anything. God does everything, is a shrinking thought and not accurate. It's not accurate. God chose to be in partnership with us. 
thing about this kingdom thing is it's a big thing. Look what it says here. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, big heart, abundant heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for the setting for the ephod and for the breastplate and the shopping list for the tabernacle's establishment goes on. I cut it short for the type for just the sake of time. The thing that we learn from this passage of scripture is a few things. One is that God is very focused. God is, he knows what he's doing. This is the thing I'm commanded. This is what I want you to do. And this is, I want you to work and then I want you to rest. He gives commandments, the Ten Commandments. He gives stipulations on how to live. He gives stipulations on social justice. Gives he, Moses is up there for a long time. Gives him this big to-do list. Then he says, I want you to build me a tabernacle, tent, a meeting. And then he gives him a shopping list. Itemizes out what it should be. So God's not like coming out to Moses and go, hey, this is the thing, man. Build me a tent. Whatever you feel like you should do, just throw it together. Borrow a couple of sheets from the Egyptians, a couple of poles up, I'll show up. No, God, God is very focused. This is the thing I have commanded. This is what I want you to do. I, I, I think that sometimes we just think that we can play games with God, but God's got an agenda, and the kingdom of God advances rapidly. And you've got to get in line and move with the kingdom of God. It will move with you or without you, but it is going to move. God would rather do it with you, but it's going to move. Then, then God is demanding. God says, I want skilled, intelligent, and experienced workers. When he gives this detail to build the tabernacle, he says, this is what I want. I want skilled, I want intelligent, and I want experienced workers. He gives them people, Bezael, Aholab, and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So he says, I want you to get these skilled men in, but I don't want you just to say, hey, do whatever you want. No, still do what the Lord has Commanded, And so God is focused and God is demanding. Here's the thing I think that most of us would forget is that God is opulent. God is opulent. Just the gold in the tabernacle. There are 2,842 pounds of gold, which I did an evaluation the other day is $75,278,700 of gold. Just the gold. Just the gold. God's opulent. He's like, cover this with gold, cover that with gold, make that out of gold. This is going to be with gold. This here, not out of mud, gold. God is opulent. You look at the detail of the fabric and the way God, God, is, God is opulent. But we also learn that God is fussy. Because 18 times... 18, everyone say 18. 18 times he says, build it according to exactly how I tell you to build it. 18 times. 
18. That's not 18. Go and clean your room and clean it exactly like I told you to clean it, okay? I said, go and clean your room. Clean it exactly like I've told you to clean it. Go and clean your room. Clean it exactly like I've told you to clean it. Go and clean your room. And clean it exactly like I told you how to clean it. Go and clean your room. That's five. At that point, your children are losing their mind. I got it already. Why are you so fussy? Next time they say that to you, say, well, at least I didn't ask you 18 times. 18 times God says, I want you to do it exactly to the measurements, use the detail, use skilled craftsmen. God is opulent. God is fussy. No shortcuts. Don't use anything else. God is opulent. This is how God operates. God is big. You're gonna get your, you're gonna get your head around it. Listen, all of you that like to support like 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 a broke God, like a God who can barely barely pay bills, God, you, you're gonna have to get over this, or heaven is gonna be miserable. You're gonna see the streets of gold, and you're gonna go, how much this cost? Who paid for this? Gates of pearl? What's wrong with wood? Why can we borrow some leftover wood from the fires of hell? <laughs> Shove up a gate. And God is bigger than the moment. I think, I think this to me was a... When I first realized this in this passage, and this was years ago, not just recently... But it, it, it amplifies the bigness and the majesty of God. So let's just backtrack. What is God building here? He's building a tent. That's what it is. It's a tent. And it was with Israel for what? 40 years. Out in the outback. The wilderness. It's the Australian translation of wilderness. Outback. So God builds a tent in, to go camping in the outback with his people for 40 years. And God is eternal. So in the scope of eternity, 40 years is sort of like a holiday weekend. Don't you think? Even just the thousands of years the world's been happening, even 2,000 years of church history, 40 years is like a holiday weekend. So God wants to go camping with Israel on a holiday weekend in the outback. This is what we're talking about here. God says, I want to hang out with my people. I want to be right in the middle of my people. I want to hang out with them. I want it to be a place of worship. I want to engage with them. But when you think about it and step back, it's God hanging out with his people in the outback for a holiday weekend. And he says, I want you to pitch a tent for me, but make sure it's a great tent. 
And 18 times he says, I want you to build it exactly like I'm telling you to build it. And I don't want you to change the directions. I don't want you to change the dimensions. This is my design. I'm I'm fabricating it from something in heaven, giving you heavenly revelation on earth. Even the way the tabernacle was laid out. If you study the tabernacle, it preaches the cross. It preaches the church. It preaches what's happening today. It preaches the crucifixion. All through that, it preaches the gospel. But in the end of it, it's a tent for a holiday weekend. And in that, he said, I want you to build it exactly like it and spent $75 million on the gold for his tent. I can hear some of you thinking, well, are you a prosperity preacher? (laughs) No, but I think God's a prosperity God. Just throw it out there for all the people on the line. I think God's a prosperity God. He's fussy and he's opulent. Our challenge is to get our thinking big enough. Because it's not about the money. It's not about the gold. It's about the bigness of this. This is what, this is what challenges me. It's the bigness of like, wow. When you put it in perspective... The way God sees things is so much. He said that my ways are bigger, my thoughts are greater. You know, I, I'm, I'm above. And you got to, we got to get, we got to renew our mind so we can get in alignment with God. And what happens throughout life is it chips away at us to make us feel like we can't enter into God's business, bigness. The thing about this kingdom thing is it's a personal thing. Then all, the, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and bought the Lord's contribution. Everyone say Lord's contribution. To be used for the tent of meeting, for all of its service, and for the holy garments. And so they came, both men and women. Both men and women. All who were of a willing heart, bought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. These three verses serve as a catalyst on how you and I should think about church and money. And you'll hear people say this, like all the church ever talks about is, how many people have heard somebody say that? All the church ever talks about is money. And, and so we, we, get, we get defensive, but just, just get accurate. We do an hour and a half service on Sunday. You know how many minutes are dedicated to the offering? Three. Three minutes in an hour and a half service is what we dedicate to taking up the offering. Three minutes, four and a half hours a year is what we dedicate. Now, I know a day like today, we're talking about money right now. But even if you add 15 minutes of this message talking about money, and even if I did that another 10 times, it's not a lot. You can't say someone's always talking about something if they're rarely talking about it. 
You wouldn't say they're always talking. If, if I went to your house and spent an hour and a half with you and you spent three minutes talking about football, I could not walk away if I did that every week, spent every week with you, an hour and a half, and you spent it going, all I ever talk about is football. Because you'd be like, no, I just mentioned the score. Somewhere in the church, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Get some resilience. Stop becoming, we don't want to be victims to what society is trying to tell us we are when it's just not true. It's just not true. We're about so many more things than money. And we spend a lot of time talking about those things and, and answering problems and all the things that God has called us to do. But it's three minutes once a week. God says, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about money. Think about this. Moses is on the presence, is in the presence of the Lord for 40 days, up on a mountain, just chatting with God. He comes down, he's, he's so in the presence of God that his face is radiating. Like, and what's the first thing he does? Takes up an offering. That's offensive right there. Why? Because God... God knows what he needs to have to do the things that he needs to do. And so he takes up an offering. Serving, giving, and investing in the kingdom of God is a decision, and it's not an emotion. I, I, I love the way all the congregation, the people of Israel, departed from the presence of Moses. They all, Moses gives a shop. This is what happened, and this is how it should happen. Moses gives a shopping list. This is what we need. Go home and think about it. No one was forced no one was coerced. No one's arm was wrenched up their back. This is what God needs. Go and think about it. They went home. They walked through all the stuff that they had. Mind you, everything that they had in their house was a result of what God had opened up when they left Egypt and gave it to them. So it wasn't like it was their stuff. It wasn't like it was their gold. It was like God gave them the gold from the Egyptians that had them in slavery. And God didn't even say to them, go and get it all. He didn't go, go to your house and bring all the gold that you have. Just go home and think about it. And so they went home and they thought about it. When, 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 you, when you make a decision, I, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in the message. So I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind of what you will give. That will protect you. Against sob stories, arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. If you just think about your giving, what are you going to give in the offering on Sunday? Just make a decision before you get here. Now what are you going to do? Then if we talk about an offering, it's never, make, make a decision what you're going to give to missions. Make a decision what you're going to do as far as the chairs or all the different things that need to happen. Just make a decision. Your decision doesn't need to be anybody else's decision. Your decision may be, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything. That's a decision. But make a choice. Go home, see what you got, make a choice. And it says, here it'll protect you from arm twisting and sob stories. You should never feel manipulated in church life about giving, ever. If you feel manipulated by somebody, stop, block it, and then say, I'll go away and I'll think about it. Now, I have been in offerings where somebody tried to manipulate. I've been in those. How many people have been in those environments? And it's not, it's not pleasant. 
But when I learned this principle, it changed everything. Because I don't care if the guy, if I've made up my mind what I'm going to give, I don't care if you talk about the offering for an hour or three minutes. Why do you think we take three minutes on an offering? Because we know, doesn't matter, three minutes or an hour, most people already know what they're giving. You've already made up your mind. You, you've made yourself unoffendable by being prepared. And that's a smart thing to do. And listen, if you're here today or you're watching online and you're freaking out right now, he's talking about money and church is ripping everybody off of the money and everyone's going. 5%, friends say 5% of churchgoers in America tithe. That's the stat of research. 5% of churchgoers tithe. So whenever your friends at work are unsaved, like, the church is ripping people off for money. Well, not 95% of them he's not. <laughs> I don't think anybody's getting ripped off here. And if you are getting ripped off, it's because you didn't think about it. You didn't have a plan. You'll serve and invest what you love. It says everyone whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit moved him to bring the Lord's contribution, the Lord's contribution. They're, you just, every week, somebody's, somebody's asking you for money. You go, to the, you go to buy groceries now. You go to pay your, your, the, the, with your, the, the bill for the groceries. And what do they ask you for? Do you want to make a donation? Is that, anybody had that already? You can't go anywhere. You go for your gas. You want to round it up to the next dollar? What, make it $2,000 of gas? No, thank you. So make a decision. Don't, don't get angry. Chill. Come on, church. Let's get bigger than this. Let's just chill. Let's not be stressed. Let's not be worried. Let's just do what we can do. Every man whose heart was stirred. And then the Lord uses your giving to do his work. He says they, they bring their contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all of its service and for the holy garments. I've, I've heard lots of debates over the years about tithes and, you know, people hook it up, the Malachi and no tithing in the, 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 the New Testament. They were tithing hay and produce. Listen, all throughout the scripture, the principle of giving stays static. How we give changes. In this particular giving, it's not hay. It's gold, silver, it's bronze, scarlet. It's, it's very specific. Later times, it is hay, wheat. In the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, their heart was so stirred by what God did that they sold their houses and then they just gave all their money away to the church, to the poor. You got, you got no money? Here, have my. They sold everything. Now, that didn't become a New Testament principle. That was a whole Ananias and Sapphira. Said, well, you have a choice over what you do. You can sell it all and give it away. In today's economy, that wouldn't work for us. If all of a sudden we said, we're going to be a church that sells everything we've got and just gives it away, where would you live? You wouldn't survive very long. If you just sold your house today and gave all the money away, where would you live next week? 
And so as economies change and as times change, the way God does things changes to adapt with the season. But the general principle of being generous in the house of God and the work of God remains the same. And if you are going to bless God's kingdom, the blessing that comes upon you comes the same way. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. It was never intended to be an optional thing. Let me give you the last thing and then we'll pray. Uh, Russell, you can come up. Look what it says down here in verse 6. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. I've never seen that in church. For the material that they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. This is what generosity does. When, when, we, when we go home, we think about it, we make a plan, we have a strategy. We're not just giving up, shooting from our hip. We, think we can give generously. These people came and they built this beautiful structure. But God had blessed them before that so much. They had so much at home that He said, hey, we don't, we don't want you to give anymore. Stop giving. People bought everything they had and then they gave so much that he said, stop giving, too, too, too much. If you've worked with people, like I have and some of you have, if you've hung around with people, you, you can probably guess that not everybody had bought a contribution. There may have been people back at their house still looking around what they can give and man, I'd love to give this gold necklace for them to melt and put. But I like this necklace. This would look really good on me. I could, I could, I could wear that out. I don't want to give that gold necklace. And, man. and, and, and by, the, by the time that they'd made a decision on what they were going to bring, they turn up and they go, sorry, you're too late. How would, you, how, how would that feel if you were that person? You turn up, you finally made your decision after a long period of time struggling and you finally got two gold coins and you go, I, I got some gold. And they go, yeah, too late, man, sorry. We're done and dusted here. Take it home. It's over. We've built it. It's all good. Scripture says now is the day of salvation. Faith is a now thing. It's an all-in thing. It's a committed thing. It says, here I am, use me. There's 120 people gathered together for the birthing of the church. 120 people gathered together for the birthing of the church. But Jesus personally appeared to over 500 He personally appeared to over 500. Think about this. Jesus was crucified, dead in a tomb, rose from the dead 
wandering around going, hey man, good to see you, Fahad. I'm Jesus. You're looking good, man. And you're like, whoa, I thought you were dead. Yeah, I am. He was living, was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. Fahad's like, that is unbelievable. And I said it in Farsi and everything. And he's just so, so G- Jesus was, was dead and, and now resurrected, alive. He's, he's gonna, he ascends into heaven. He turns up 500, 500 people. 500 people wait in Jerusalem. 500 people and 120, 380 had something better to do. 380 people that we know of, possibly more, missed the birth of the church because they couldn't be bothered to, I don't know why. Maybe they were back at their house trying to work out what that would bring to the offering of the Lord. And when they got there, he said, sorry, we've taken up so much, we're not taking any more giving right now. But somehow 380 people missed the birth of the church because their faith wasn't now. Word of life, now's our moment. Now's our season. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is, this is our season. This is our opportunity. This is our time. A lot of great things have happened in our history. Next year, this church as a church in this area will have been in the area for 75 years. There's a lot of water under the bridge in those 75 years. Everywhere I go around Virginia, I was at an Assembly of God conference just a couple of weeks ago and every second person I met was like, yeah, I'm pastoring a church. I used to be on staff at Word of Life. Yeah, I used to be. I was a youth pastor at Word of Life. I was the assistant pastor. of. Uh, I was the executive to the assistant to the friend of the left-handed guy that was the, you know, and every, everyone seemed to have a story on how they were connected to, to Word of Life. So we had a great history. This is awesome. But now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Not yesterday. Yesterday was its now. It was now back then. But this is our now. And I'm calling you, church, to get your heart involved, whether it be financially, whether it would be with support, whether it would be by turning up, whether it would be by going out and ministering to the poor and bringing them in, getting involved in the different programs that we have at our church, getting plugged in to a connect group, getting involved in prayer, getting involved in fasting, getting involved in serving, even if it's just knocking on doors and inviting people to come on Sunday. What can you do? What can you do? You can only do what you can do. You can only do what you can do. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Just do what you can do. Holy Spirit, breathe on us. Will you stand with me? This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. This is the thing. Can, just look at me for one second. I want, I want to backtrack on something. We always get attacked on the financial thing in the church. Every church hater loves to focus on that. No one ever stops and asks the question, how much money has word of life just word of life. Forget every other church. And there's thousands of great churches, even just hundreds of churches in our state and 
great churches in our community. But just word of life as a church. Have you ever stopped to consider how much money word of life has saved our communities? If you were a smoker like me, before I was saved, I smoked two packets of cigarettes a day. I wasn't, you were on four? You're on four packets? You're on four packets? Like you're like, I see your two, I raise your two, four packets? Four packets of cigarettes a day. I thought I was bad at two. I feel like a novice now. So in today's economy, what does four packets of cigarettes cost now? It's like $10 a packet, $20 a packet. Just think about hundreds and hundreds. But forget about the money you're spending on cigarettes. What it does to your body. And then what it costs to be hospitalized. The pressure it puts on the hospital systems. I don't know what you were like, but before I was saved, I drank a lot. A lot. I didn't drink socially. I drank to get drunk. That's what I did. I just drank to get drunk. And drove home multiple times drunk. Had two car accidents drunk. Thankfully, no one else was hurt. Just hurt myself. But you think about every drunk driver on the road who's been taken off the road. If you were like me and you were drinking like me and there's just 10 of you here today that say, I was like you, I drank, I drove. We took, just as a church, just here today, 10 drunk drivers off the road. You know how much money that saves our community? How much heartbreak that saves our community? People that were abusers, people that were users, they get saved and their lives get turned around and the abuse stops and the drug use stops and all those things. You think how much heartache we've saved families. Now, I know the church is not perfect, but if somebody gets redeemed and changed and their life transforms, I, I've, I've given up apologizing to anybody that attacks the church about its money. And I want to encourage you, don't be intimidated by them. We save the community thousands and thousands, potentially millions of dollars a year, just at Word of Life, through lives changed on how they go back into the community. Some of you are better husbands than you ever were before, and your family are grateful that you went to church because you are a jerk before you got saved. But now you're saved and God's worked in your life. You're a good man. You're a celebrated man. Your children love you again. You are, you are, your wife loves you. She respects you again. Some of you ladies in here, you know what God did when He changed. You know what you were like before you got saved. And you sit back and go, God, I, am so, I don't like the version of me before Jesus. Is there anybody today that says, I don't like the version of me before Jesus, but I really like the version of me on the other side of salvation? Is there anybody here today like that? That's what the church does. Multiply that by millions. This is why we're here. We worship together. We get in the Word together. We hang out together. You're going to go and hang out in the lobby with people that you would have never known or touched base with if it wasn't for the church. But they're your friends. They don't come from the same country as you. Some of them don't even speak the same language as you. They don't have the same traditions as you. But they're your brother. They're your sister. They're your family. They're your church. This is the church. I love the church. You get to hang with people you'd never get to hang out with.
Some of you that are young, never had a grandma or a granddad. There's dozens of them here that you could adopt. I heard this, I think I said this in church last week, but I heard this just recently, that it's statistically shown that if a young person has a grandparent in their life, it reduces the risk of suicide. So for all you 80 plus year olds that didn't think that you had anything left in you, God can use you to change a young person's life and arm around them, are loving on them and speaking to their life, tell your story, how you grew up in faith. Don't retire, refire. It's the kingdom of God. If you're a young person and you don't have a grandparent, look around, it's like a smorgasbord. You do grandparent shopping. We could give you a whole, we, could, we got photos and we could give you a whole heap of photos. You could swipe right on the ones you like. Let's pray. Holy Spirit overshadow us today. Wrap your arms around your beautiful church. Just breathe in the Holy Spirit right now. I believe the Holy Spirit is here. Just breathe in the presence of God. Breathe in the presence of God. Breathe in the presence of God. Breathe in the presence of God.